This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 167 for March 2022 with Gabe Hughes on Expository Study. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 167 for March 2022. Gabe Hughes returns for his sixth episode of Echo Zoe Radio. Since he was last on the show, he's taken a position as associate pastor of First Baptist Church in Lindale, Texas. He's also author and creator of WWUTT, or When We Understand the Text, a ministry in which he creates YouTube videos, writes books, and has a daily podcast. For this episode, Gabe and I discuss expository Bible study. And the basics, basis of this topic is a seminar that Gabe has been participating in, along with Pastor Bob, uh, Tom Buck, in which they teach pastors how to properly study the biblical text, preparation for delivering sermons. But the material is also quite helpful for those of us who are not pastors in our personal study. So Gabe spends an hour walking us through some simple steps to take in order to better understand the biblical text. This episode should be on Rumble if you wish to watch the video, as well as the Echo Zoe Locals page in both audio and video formats. If you're seeing this on YouTube, come on over and subscribe to Echo Zoe on Rumble too. Uh, video will continue to go up on YouTube, but I'm putting more emphasis on Rumble and Locals in an effort to stay ahead of big tech censorship. I mentioned BitChute and Odyssey last month, and I've yet to hear Anyone express interest in Echo Zoe starting uh, channels on either of those platforms? But if you're interested, please reach out and let me know, as I am still open to getting onto either of bo or both of those sites as well. So, also in regards to social media, you can find Echo Zoe on Twitter, Gab, Parlor, Getter, and Telegram. And I'm also planning to be on Truth Social as that site comes online in coming months. As I mentioned last month. Uh, that's a lot to remember. You can find an up-to-date list of all these various websites and platforms at echozoe.com slash linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R-E-E. -E. Show notes for this episode are available at echozoe.com slash 167. That's where you'll find an outline of the discussion, list of scriptures that we refer to during the show, additional resources, and related episodes from the Echo Zoe Radio archives. And as you'll see me mention towards the end of the show, this is one where I think the show notes are going to be really valuable. So check that out. Like I said, echozoe.com slash 167. With that, here's my discussion with Gabe. Gabe, it's been uh, a little while, but always a pleasure to have you back. Yeah, thanks, man. I was, uh, I was thrilled to get the message from you. And I know that I think we do this every time, but we had always said we would try to make this an annual thing. And it turns <laughs> into every two years, I think, when we get together. Yeah, you know, I didn't even look at what. Exactly. I know it's been more than a year for sure, but I didn't look at what month it was that you were on last. Yeah, I think it was in 2020. I don't remember what month exactly, but we had talked about the Bible Project. That was oh, the, okay. the Bible Project episode. And you were still living in Kansas at the time. I was, yes. Now I'm in Texas. Mm -hmm. So I am working at uh, First Baptist Church in Lindale with Tom Buck. Uh, and that was just, it was too good an opportunity to pass up. I've loved Tom for years. And so the, uh, the door kind of opened for us to be able to work together. So I am the director of, uh, of the Sunday school classes, pretty much all of the, the teaching ministries here at First Baptist Church. I oversee whether it's the, the children's department or adult studies. Uh, I write curriculum or make sure curriculum's provided for each one of those departments. It's a lot of work. I'm, at, I'm probably doing even more work now than I was before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But without preaching every Sunday, I, I still, I only preach maybe, uh, you know, 12, 15 times a year or something like that. But it sounds like uh, you're really enjoying it. Yeah, it's, it's been great. This has been a wonderful church. 
um, and uh, and some great opportunities here. Still teaching a lot. It's just not not preaching on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. Well, it's been a little different for me because I've been down. It was kind of my thing is I drive to Arizona because my in-laws have a house down there. And we go down every every year or every two years, which, you know, it's it's not super often, but been kind of going a little slightly out of the way and going through Junction City and stopping by and saying <laughs> hi. And last time we did that, there was no no point in going through Junction City at all because we weren't there. We're not there anymore. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now it's usually easier for me on the way home. And last time we went uh, like end of May, like right at school got out last year, end of May beginning of June, we went down for about a week and uh, we went down kind of our normal route. But on the way back, we went up, uh, saw the Grand Canyon and then up through uh, uh, Arches National Park in Utah. Yeah. And then across Colorado and Nebraska. So we didn't go through Kansas on the way home. Now, I've not been to Kansas in over a year. This has been, you know, out of out of the last 20 years, this is the longest I've not been. <laughs> I've not been in Kansas. Uh, so Becky's folks still live there. She still has a lot of family there. She's been back and has visited, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I haven't had the chance to make it back yet. Is it your um, family there too? No, my family lives in Georgia. Oh. Uh, well, my, my brothers and sisters are spread out all over the country, but okay. my mom and dad live just outside of Atlanta. So we've made a couple of trips out there and have seen them even since okay. we moved down here to Texas. But uh, Did they move more recently? Cause I thought you grew up in Kansas. No, I didn't grow up in Kansas. I was born oh, in South okay. Carolina. Yeah. So I'm a Southern boy at heart. I always have okay. been. It's kind of a, kind of a thrill for me to move to East Texas because East Texas really does look like the Carolinas where I grew up. It's <laughs> all kind of that same, you know, the, the pine belt right uh -huh. down there. So, uh, okay. yeah, it's, I love the weather right now. It's a little cold and rainy, but yeah. otherwise yeah. I like, I like the, the, the hotter summers are nicer for me. <laughs> I've got two degrees here. So if you want to, you want to talk about cold, not interested in exchanging. No, <laughs> but I mean, this is probably more in line with it, what you were used to in Kansas. I mean, the times I drove through Kansas, especially in the winter, it was not much warmer than it would be around here. Oh yeah. You could hit weeks where <laughs> you could hit weeks where it, it never gets above 30 and mm -hmm. the winds blowing 20 to 30 miles per hour on that's top of the that. Worst of so it. yeah, that's, I, I can tolerate 20 degrees, but not when it's blowing 20 miles an hour. It's, yeah. uh, you know, the wind chill gets below zero at that point. And you got to wear layers because it, it doesn't matter how heavy a coat you have on. It will feel like it's eating right through your clothes. Yep. Yep. Winters in Kansas are pretty brutal. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I went to college in Fargo, North Dakota. and It's, it's a little similar topography. You know, that wind yeah, gets whipping it and it's brutal. It'll find a tiny little hole in whatever you've got, and it'll get in there. <laughs> yep, that was Kansas. That's a Kansas winter for you. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I I keep talking about the guest that brings their own topic, and you're one of them. Yeah, so uh, Andy had contacted me and said, hey, what can we talk about? And I said, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but right now, like one of the things that I've been doing with Tom since I came to First Baptist Lindale is uh, the expository workshops that he leads for uh, the G3 conferences. Mm -hmm. So we call them the G3 expository workshops. If you go to their website, which is the letter G, the number three, M-I-N.org, and then there will be on there like a, a link to an events page. Mm -hmm. Just click mm -hmm. on that and it will give you all of the upcoming expository workshops uh, and where we'll be, even who the guest speakers are going to be. Sometimes it's Mike Riccardi, sometimes it's Vody Bacham. We'll have another kind of a big guy that will be along with us and and lead some of those courses. Uh, but the you have to do it in person. We've had people that have contacted us and say, hey, do you live stream this? Can I watch it online? No, you have to be there in person. And it, it doesn't have anything to do with that's how we make our money. So you, mm -hmm. we'll only do it in person. It's because we actually give you work to do. So you have to be there to do the assignments that you're given and receive critique from other pastors. And that's just not something we can do remotely. So it's very academic. Uh, it's, that's it's, right. It is. It is a little more academic. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that it's just for pastors. Um, we get Sunday school teachers that'll, be, that'll sign up for it and come in. We get men that are prospective elders. So they haven't been made elder yet, but they're, they're being looked at by their church. They're kind of in that uh, uh, probation period, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> 
and uh, and even as they're um, uh, brushing up on preaching skills and things like that, they'll come to these expository workshops and learn how to prepare a sermon or even preparing a Sunday school lesson or anything else. So when I started taking these classes a few years ago, when I started attending the expository workshops, I was amazed by what I was learning. It wasn't too different than what I was already preparing, but it was kind of putting it in a form that, um, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like I, I knew how to put together a sermon I was preaching on Sunday, but I'm not so sure I can tell you how to do it. You sure. know what I mean? And so the expository workshops were very helpful in, in bringing it down to very basic levels. And one of the things I realized going through it was, man, anybody can do this. So this is not just for pastors. It would be great if we were teaching this on a level that people are just learning how to study their Bibles. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I brought it back to my church, I made all of my Sunday school teachers go through it. So everybody was teaching any kind of class, even if it was like, you know, five-year-olds on up, we were all going to learn these disciplines on how to study your Bible and, and learn this expository way of recognizing context and establishing structure and then how you communicate that to other people. Um, and so that's what we do through those expository workshops. And ever since then, I've kind of been trying to find ways in, in to different audiences that I can communicate this so that you can learn how to do this mm -hmm. and get more out of your own Bible study. And then maybe even through that, you, uh, you feel a passion for, hey, I want to teach this to other people. So it, it's, uh, it's disciplines that I think anybody can learn. And so when you would contact me and said, what's something we could talk about? And I said, well, right now I've been doing quite a bit regarding expository preaching. So maybe we can talk about that in some way. I'm sure it would be helpful to some pastors, but uh, this is a topic I think can be relatable to anybody. Well, it makes a lot of sense to me because the, I'm not a pastor, but uh, the the best pastors that I'm aware of, the ones, the best preachers that I'm familiar with really approach things as, as their own. They start off as a personal Bible study that they're digging in and learning the text themselves. Right. And then they bring that on Sunday to share what they learned with their congregation. Yeah. And that's what I had said to my church too. When I was preaching every Sunday, I would say that, um, you know, the stuff that I've been through this week as I've been preparing this I've been convicted about this, and now I'm bringing it to you, and I'm letting you get convicted about it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'd have somebody come up to me afterward and be like, man, I felt like you were speaking right to me. And I would say, well, the, the spirit was hitting me with it <laughs> mm -hmm. all week long before I brought it to you. So I get the front end of it. I get all that con conviction on the front end. Then I give it to you. You go through all the week convicted while I'm preparing the next sermon that we're going to do next week. So yeah, same sort of thing. That that same stuff that I was doing preparing for sermons on Sunday is, you know, it's a great way to study your Bible for anybody. Mm -hmm. Now, I think I've been taking for granted, you, you've been using the word expository, and I've been taking for granted that we know what that means. Right. But <laughs> that's not necessarily the case. So why don't we start off with just defining what do we mean by expository? What is it? What isn't it? Yeah, so that word expository, you can hear the word expose in there, and that's very simply what expository preaching is. It's exposing the text, what's in the biblical text that's being preached in that particular sermon or taught in a Sunday school class or anything else. So we're exposing the meaning, and very specifically, we're exposing the original meaning, what the original author was saying to the original audience. You want to understand that first before you're making, you're bringing that into modern application. Because otherwise, mm -hmm. if you're just jumping straight to modern application, well, then you're making the error of turning the Bible into Aesop's fables or something like that. You know, it's, it's just a moral book with a moral lesson or, or filled with little fortune cookie pithy things. Uh, instead of knowing what this author was saying to this audience, and therefore what the Holy Spirit is saying to us now even through that text. So we have to we have to make that distinction first with regards to who's writing this, who's he writing to and why. And then drawing from that, you can you find in the text how that points to Christ and the cross. So we find the gospel elements of that and then from there even finding modern application for us. So what is this text telling me to do? How is this changing my life? How am I going to live today according to what I've just read here? 
or heard taught or how am I communicating this to somebody else? That's, that's really what expository comes down to. Now, another word that you might hear as a synonym with expository preaching is exegesis. And that word exegesis simply means to draw out. So we're drawing out the original meaning of the text. Now, the contrasting view uh, or the contrasting of, approach to a text after exegesis would be eisegesis. And that's where you're taking your meaning, your and, and you, you know what you want the text to say, and you're imposing it onto the text. Mm -hmm. That's what we don't want to do. So you don't do eisegesis. We're trying to draw out from the text its original meaning. Uh, and, and of course, the uh, expository becomes the word that gets associated with that as far as the, the discipline of preaching is concerned. Yeah. Now, when we uh, typically talk about expository preaching, I think it, it's often inferred or implied, but sometimes it's stated outright that it's verse by verse, as opposed yeah. to just grabbing a topic. Like a lot of times when I hear expository preaching, it's juxtaposed against topical. Yeah, so uh, we had a question on the podcast recently. My wife and I did an episode where uh, we got a, a guy sent in an email and he said, can you explain expository preaching? And part of his question was, uh, how much should a church's diet, you know, so to speak, how much should it, how much should be expository preaching, but can you do topical preaching too? Then how much can we do topical preaching? And I responded to that email by saying every single sermon that's done in your church should be expository preaching. Now I say that, and then somebody's going to go, whoa, well, I mean, what if we want to do a series on marriage or something like that? I mean, that's topical. Yeah, you're right. But even when you're doing a topic, you want to be sure that the scripture that you're using, whether you have kind of a central text or you're drawing out multiple texts, whatever it might happen to be, you want to be sure you're using that text in the right way. I'm not just grabbing a verse out and mashing it onto what I want it to mean, because then you're doing eisegesis. You're not, mm -hmm. you're not reading the text according to what it really means. This is not about, you know, it's not, what does this text mean to you? It's, what does this text mean? And so even when you're doing something topical, you still have to use scriptures. You have to rightly handle the word of truth, as Paul instructed Timothy to do. So we all must do. So the so exposition means you're exposing what the text says, and you have to do that whether you're covering a particular topic or whether you're doing an entire series, like you were mentioning. So the most common kind of expository preaching, of course, is going to be book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But just because a pastor is doing an entire book, like we're going through James right now, we're doing a series in James, that does not mean that... Uh, what he's doing going, you know, different sections of James every Sunday, that does not mean he's doing expository preaching. Mm -hmm. Because I've known preachers that have done this, like we're going to do a series right now in James, but then every sermon that you hear is very topical. <laughs> <laughs> and it does not sound like what James was actually saying, we're ripping stuff out of context and making it mean what we want it to mean. Uh, or they do that that common thing of we're going to read the text, boom, now we're just jumping right to modern application, and the whole sermon is about what I wanted to talk about, not what James was actually saying. So, uh, so yeah, just because you're doing verse by verse doesn't mean you're doing expository, but I think a, a good healthy diet for a church would be to do that very thing, for uh, the, the pastor and therefore the congregation to invest themselves in, we're going to do this book right now, and, uh, and that would be the series that you're in. So walk us through that process. Now, you, James, or you, before we started talking, you said you were going through Second Timothy. Walk us through, like, how you would structure that, how you would make sure that you're, you're getting into what the text actually says rather than just picking um, certain, just little verse by verse. You know, I, I could see what, where you might pick a couple verses or three or four or five verses. And... Uh, and kind of divorce it from the rest of the text. So walk us through how you would go about, uh, say, a whole series. Or maybe it takes you a year, but you're going to do a whole series on, say, James or Second Timothy. Right. So, yeah, here at First Baptist Lindale, we're actually going through Ephesians right now. So uh, that's been our, our sermon series, and we're going to be in that for pretty much the whole year. Mm -hmm. Our Sunday school classes just finished up Ruth and are about to go into Judges. That's the, uh, that's the adult classes. Um, so yeah, we have different books that we're doing in, in different ways at different times, but, uh, but yeah, when it comes to 
um, uh, doing expository preaching or doing preparation for something like that, what is that going to look like? Well, let me just take you through kind of the basic courses that we, uh, the, the sessions that we do at the G3 expository workshops. I'll use the same terminology that we use in those workshops. But as I had also talked about this on my own podcast, there were some people that were listening and saying, man, that's great. I can, I can do this in my own Bible study or in the small group that I'm leading or something like that. So you'll find ways that this works for you, even in your own personal study. Um, oh, hang on just a second. So let's just start with uh, like what do these uh, what what do these different sessions look like then at the expository workshop? So instruction one here uh, is yielding to the text. So the the text is king. In other words, we need to get past our frameworks and we need to understand what the text is saying without without you know shaping it or reading it or trying to translate it according to our own particular framework. Now, when I use that term framework, do you, do you know what I mean by that? Uh, I think I do. I don't know. I wouldn't know how to explain it, but I, I think I know what you mean. You're, okay. So what would be, what would be an example of a framework then? What um, comes dispensational. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Right. So if you're a dispensationalist and you're, you're reading a text with a dispensational framework. When we're talking about eschatology. We're talking about an end times view at mm-hmm. that point. Like say you're reading 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul is talking about the resurrection of the dead, but he also talks there about how when all things have been subjected to him, then he hands the kingdom over to his father. And, and you might be reading it with a, a dispensational framework where you're reading things in there like, oh, the rapture of the church happens here, and then Christ's return happens here. So you're reading that into 1 Corinthians 15 as you're, as you're reading it. That's your framework. Mm-hmm. But is that what Paul is talking about? I mean, is any of that Maybe. actually in? Yeah. <laughs> is yeah, any of that yeah. actually in 1 Corinthians 15? So, so does that have to do with the argument that he's laying out there as he's giving this apologetic for the resurrection of the dead? So you have to set your framework aside. Don't mm-hmm. be trying to read rapture into it and all this other kind of thing if that's not there, if that's right. not what Paul means. So you're you're just looking at the text. You're looking at the context, things that are before it, things that come after. You're looking for transition words. Uh, you're looking for um, uh, you know what the verbs are. If there's imperative, it's it if it if it's indicative. You know, is it in indicating something or is it telling you to do something? You know, these are things that we have to think about as we're looking at that text. So we set the framework aside mm-hmm. and not all frameworks are bad, right. but there are, there are some that are bad. Like, like one of the things that you hear right now that's become really popular is uh, that you take your, like your ethnic experience and read that onto the, onto the text. And you'll hear some people that are saying that, well, uh, you know, the way that somebody from Latin America reads this is going to be different than the way a person from Europe reads this. So you really need to go read a Latin American to understand it from their perspective and then go read a European and understand it from their perspective. That actually does not tell me anything at all about what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. No, I would want to read a first century Jew, if anything. (laughs) (laughs) Right. If you're, if you're looking for some good commentary, that might be a little more helpful than, (laughs) than reading something. Even that isn't without its problems, but right. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, are we, are we, because whoever is writing a commentary about first Corinthians is not the one who is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit to write first Corinthians. So we're reading what God's word says, and you're understanding this first and reading it over and over again and letting it get into you, uh, seeing things pop out at you the next time you read it that you didn't see the first time. So you have to put the text over your framework. The text is king, mm-hmm. in other words. Uh, you know, even the fact that we have the Bible divided up into chapters and verses, that's a framework. There's nothing wrong with that framework, but the, the paragraphs or the little subject headings that you'll get in there, sometimes in the middle of the chapter, you know, the, the editors of the ESV Bible threw in there uh, in, in Philippians 4.10 that God will fill your needs. You know, that's the, the heading over that passage or something like that. You know, even those things are all frameworks. So we have to we have to set that aside, try to look past even this division of chapters and verses, because you know, is that throwing us off? Is it is it affecting the way that we're understanding the passage? 
rather than seeing exactly what Paul was saying to this audience. So that's that's what um, yielding to the text means. That's what we mean by um, a text over framework, that you are, you're setting those different biases aside that you might have and deeply trying to understand what Paul was saying to this audience, if it's, of course, an epistle from the Apostle Paul. <laughs> yeah. Now, these, uh, these are things that can be, in some regards, really hard to see as you're doing it, but really easy to see other people doing it. Yeah, that's a good Putting point. a framework over things. Because I've, I've, I mean, I've fallen victim to it on one hand, reading the text through my preconceived framework. And it, um, eschatology is a big one. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it happens all the time where uh, people read into things that just aren't there. Right. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm not, not even talking about a specific eschatological view when I say that. Uh, but I've also been in discussions with friends where they'll, they'll ins- you know, so friends that would be more, uh, say, charismatic or even lean towards new apostolic stuff where, you know, they're really bad at just grabbing verses out of nowhere and, and proof, proof texting things. Mm-hmm. And when you start showing them that, like, well, okay, you were going to say that, okay, uh, say John 10, uh, my sheep hear my voice, right? Like they'll, they'll throw this verse out, my sheep hear my voice. And well, that means that we're supposed to hear God speak to us and stuff. But then as you walk through John chapter 10, verse by verse, from the beginning to the end, you see <laughs> that that's not really what he's talking about. Right. This is a right. gospel call. I mean, it's plain yes. and simple. It's right. not about hearing a whisper in your ear. Yep. Yeah, you know, a very common thing that you hear done too is uh, uh, that Goliath is your problems and you're David and mm-hmm. with enough faith, you can overcome your problems. Is that really how we're supposed to understand First, uh, first Samuel chapter 17, you know? Uh, so, uh, and then some, sometimes that becomes a framework. Everything that you heard when you were a kid growing up, like what, what sort of bad Sunday school lessons were, your, were you getting as a kid? And now you're opening up your text and you're reading into the text stuff that you were taught a long time ago that probably wasn't correct, or it was on such an elementary level yep. that you're not really getting into the, the meat and potatoes of the text and, and being able to grow past what we were told in our, our little kid Sunday school classes. So yeah, that's, yeah, some of the things that, and like you said, it can be easier to identify when somebody else is doing it than when you're doing it. And so one thing that I've, uh, I've kind of tried to help people to do um, this is a little more time consuming. Nate Pickowitz talks about this in his book, How to Eat Your Bible. He also <laughs> gives this, this discipline in there as well. When you're reading a particular verse, put a greater emphasis on a word this time when you're reading the verse that you didn't put the emphasis on the other time that you read it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, so let's, mm-hmm. take, let's take, for example, Romans 3.23. That's one that we know. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's typically the way we say it too. Like all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So when you read that verse now, put a different emphasis on a different word. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So you've said for, well, that means this, this is. There's a transition word. that you Right. There's a transition word there. We had something else that came before it. Mm-hmm. And so why, why is Paul saying for all have sinned? And so you're looking at verses before that to understand, you know, how that's connected. So then the next time you read it, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Who is all? Does all mean all and that's all all means? Or does all always have a context? So you're looking back to see who all is. Mm-hmm. And of course, following the throw, uh, following the flow through Romans 1 and Romans 2, you see that it's Jews and Gentiles, everyone among Jews and Gentiles, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So then you read it again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Is that present tense? Is it past tense? Um, is, is it uh, describing a current state? You know, you might ask questions about that particular word as you put the emphasis there. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is sin? So that's, I won't go through the whole verse and we could be here for a while, but Mm -hmm. uh, it kind of gives you an idea of when you, when you read a passage that way, it makes you think more deeply about it. And you even begin to think, so what, what is Paul putting the emphasis on there when he's uh, therefore 
writing this to the Romans. And it puts you in the mindset of knowing what it is that he meant. What was he saying to this group? So it's not about what it means to me. It's about what it originally meant as Paul was writing it to the Romans. And therefore, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me that I can understand uh, is being communicated here? So that's yielding to the text. What, what's the next step? then? So the next one, yep. First one is yield to the text. The text is king. The next one is travel instructions. You know, this is what we give to the pastors anyway. You want to follow your travel instructions. So often our first instinct is to travel directly from the biblical text and apply it to our modern audience. Again, then, it, then we just make it into moralism at that point. It's the only reason we're reading this is because I want you to know this, and this is what you need to do as a result. But we need to understand the original point and travel through the context to his original audience, and we never rightly understand what it means for us today until we understand what it meant to them then. Uh, a biblical text can never mean to us now what it did not mean to them then. If we're making a text mean something to us now that it did not mean to the Romans Paul was writing to or, or the audience that uh, uh, you know, Luke was writing to as he's, uh, as he's writing in Luke and Acts to the same recipient, uh, it can't mean something different than who Peter was writing to uh, at the time that he wrote First and Second Peter, or even when it comes down to Revelation, that's one that that is kind of a hot topic. But uh, uh, you know, Revelation, we want to bring Revelation into our modern context. Oh, look at all the stuff I see happening in the world right now. That's coming true now because it's in Revelation. Is that how John's audience understood it? Did they hear you know locusts with hair like women? describing Apache helicopters. Is that what, <laughs> that's the, uh, that's the Hal Lindsey version of, uh, of, of the, of the locust there in Revelation. So if John's audience did not understand it that way, then we can't read it that way. It has to mean to us what it meant to that audience. And then we find the application. And then we know that the application is correct. Now, something that R.C. Sproul has said is that, um, uh, or he's, he's asked this question of his audience. He'll say, how many interpretations of a text are there? And then it's quiet, but then eventually you'll hear somebody in the audience go, one, you know, right, exactly. There's only one interpretation of a text. There might be 10,000 applications, but there's only one correct interpretation. But even when it comes to our application, the application has to fit the interpretation. You can't just make it because then now we're jumping into moralism again. I'm going to, yep. well, I have the right meaning down and now I'm going to apply it to whatever I want it to. No, it, it still has to fit with the interpretation. You can't just pull something out of right field that you want it to mean. Uh, it's from the interpretation that we get to the correct application. And then we also see the gospel principles there. Can we take this text and how do we tie it to Christ and the cross? Since the whole Bible is pointing ultimately to Christ, is there something here that directs us in the, in the uh, attention of Christ so that we're keeping our eyes focused on him, we're growing in godliness and likeness, and being shaped more in his image, we're seeing what he had done for us with his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave so that as we grow in faith in him, we understand uh, that, that he is our, uh, our life. We've been rescued from life, or sorry, we've been rescued from death to life. And so now knowing that about, about the gospel, what's the application now? As I'm living that life, that Christ has raised me from the dead into, how am I living in a way that is pleasing unto the Lord? Living, living in a worthy manner, as it says in uh, Ephesians 4.1. So now we've traveled, uh, we have our travel instructions. Yep. So yield to the text, travel instructions. And then the third instruction is map the structure. So we, uh, we're going to outline the text that we're looking at because there's going to be a structure here. It, and as Pastor Tom, uh, Tom Buck, is he kind of uh, will lead these seminars at the expository workshop, he'll say that this is one of the most neglected tasks of pastors to actually take the time and rightly apprehend 
the structure of a passage. Now, this is this is creating an outline. You're creating an outline of, of the passage. Mm-hmm. Now, this is something that I was really bad at. Um, and, and this was an area I think that I've improved the most by being in these expository workshops. So uh, I've been taught how to, how to map structure. And there's a, uh, another one of our pastors that's on staff, Pastor Andrew, he can do it like, oh, it's amazing. I'm, I'm in awe of how quickly he can just kind of look at a section and boom, he can come up with the structure of it. And I told him that one time and he said, well, it's because I've been through more expository classes than you've been, <laughs> <laughs> than you've been in. He said, you'll get it too. The more yeah. that you do it, the more it's going to be like, it'll just pop right out at you and you'll be able to see the structure. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a very neglected discipline. And even when I was, you know, I remember when I was in high school, and I would be in my comp classes or something like that. And the teacher would say, okay, we're going to create an outline of, of the either the story we're reading or you're going to write a speech and you have to turn in your outline first. And I hated that part mm-hmm. of the process. I, I don't know how to outline. I'm so terrible at it. And even to this day, when I do uh, my own sermons, I'll outline it, but I don't follow the outline. (laughs) Uh, And I've heard Phil Johnson say uh, the same thing about John MacArthur. Like he's actually very terrible at creating outlines (laughs) and then following his outline because, you know, as we go back to text over framework, your outline becomes a framework. And then, uh, but what John MacArthur wants to do when he's preaching is he really wants to let the text speak. So though he may create an outline, he's still going to follow the flow of the text uh, more so than his outline. But we're identifying. So you're talking. There. Sorry to interrupt you, but you're talking yeah, about that's okay. outline, outline of the text versus outline of a sermon. Right. Correct. Yeah, I did kind of jump uh, application there, but uh, uh, yeah. So we we will see an actual structure to the text that we're reading. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in First Corinthians 14, Paul is talking about spiritual gifts there, but he also talks about prophesying. So uh, so proclaiming God's word to God's people. And he says there in 1 Corinthians 14 that the church should not be chaos, but that uh, God is a God of order. So mm-hmm. God has created order, not disorder. And so therefore, as God has ordered everything, so our worship services should be ordered. We'll take that principle and apply it even to preaching. There's going to be an order and a structure to the text that you're reading. Paul did not just sit down and write whatever came into his mind and, oh, I'm just going to send this off to the Romans and hopefully it makes sense to him. You know, uh, he, he was masterful in what it was that he wrote. And of course, he's being guided by the Holy Spirit. So there is a structure there to the text that you're reading that you're going to have to look for. You're going to have to spend some time in that text identifying transition words, as we had talked about a moment ago, uh, looking at the beginning and the end. Like, is there something at the top of this particular text that's the same at the bottom? And, and if there, it begins and ends the same way, well, that indicates a structure to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, there, are there certain verbs? Are there repeated phrases? Uh, is there a theme going on? Like Paul seems to be using the same theme through this. Uh, things like that. So as we, as we recognize that structure, then it's the, the outline of that text is going to pop out to us. Now, when you preach this, you don't stand up in front of your audience and preach your outline. It might help you if you're doing like three points, for example, you're that guy, you're like a Baptist guy, you love to do three points, alliteration, they're all going to start with the same letter. You know, the, of course, doing your structure work is going to help you find whatever those three points are going to be, but, uh, but you're not going to preach your outline. So uh, number one is this now letters A, B, and C. Now we get to number two. The structure is helping you to put the sermon together. You're preaching the text. You're not preaching your outline. But you can recognize in the structure helps you to understand what the theme is, like what is the author talking about, what the aim is, what is he telling you to do, and therefore what the central proposition is. What what is the main meaning of this text? What are we supposed to get from this? And you can identify those things when you go through your structure, when you build your outline and you see the structure of that particular text. That's what will help you see what's the main focus of this text. Mm-hmm. Now that also this outlining idea is uh, going back to what we were, what I was asking you earlier on about, uh, say we're walking through James was the example, or you now you're going through Ephesians, that this is really important as you're, you're, you're you might be preaching on 
just a couple verses at a time or, you know, two to four verses, sometimes just one verse on a, for a sermon. And that outline is really going to drive how you understand that particular verse, because you, you're going to understand the whole context of the book itself, not just the, not just the pericope, not just the narrative or, or the chapter, but the whole book. Yeah, thanks for using that term pericope because that is such a great word. <laughs> Pericope is how it looks like it's spelled. But yeah, the, so the so the pericope is going to be that that section of the text that we're studying. You know, whether it's for the Bible lesson you're doing or for the sermon that you're preaching, that section, like say we're going from uh, Romans three twenty one through thirty one, that's your pericope. So that's the that's the uh, section of text that you're teaching on. And so yeah, to to rightly understand even this text. We have to understand the broad context, and that that takes us to lesson number four. Mm-hmm. So here's the here's the fourth instruction that we give, and that's explore the context. So every book of the Bible has a central message or an overall big idea that the author intends to communicate to his audience, and understanding the message of the whole book is going to help make each pericope or each passage more understandable, and more powerful. Every passage is going to relate in some way to the theme of the whole book. Now, something that I've taught when I've led these classes is you should never teach a section of scripture out of a book that you have not read. You have got to read the whole book. So when you know Tom and I are putting together sermons to go through Ephesians, we've read through all of Ephesians. Uh, and even as I'm preparing a sermon that I've got coming up in a few weeks, I'm reading it again. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm actually, uh, it's going to be a little more topical. It's from Ephesians, but we're talking about the doctrine of adoption. So as Paul brings up adoption in Ephesians, but I still want to represent adoption according to the way Paul uses it in Ephesians. It comes up in chapter one, but where else do we see it throughout the book? And so that's something that I want to, uh, you know, I want to read the whole book and that, that almost kind of a systematic theology sort of a discipline. So you're mm-hmm. looking for the concept of adoption all the way through Ephesians. But any text that you teach on, you need to read the whole book. So what was the occasion um, that was going on that the Holy Spirit motivated the author to write this down for this audience? you know, understanding some of those things. So we'll have the the three main kinds of context that you're looking for. There's the biblical context, there's the immediate context, and the historical context. And sometimes you might need all three. So as I mentioned, 1 Corinthians 15 a little bit ago, mm-hmm. you'll need all three for 1 Corinthians 15. There are You want to know the immediate context. So where does this argument regarding the resurrection of the dead, where does it sit in the book of 1 Corinthians related to the other topics that Paul has brought up with the Corinthians. You also want to understand the biblical context, because Paul, of course, is making a reference to Christ rising from the dead. You have the Gospels that are coming into that. Uh, You have some of his Old Testament references that are coming in there. So, uh, you know, a reference to Psalm 8, for example. So going back to Psalm 8, understanding what's being said there and how Paul is applying that. And then you even want to understand some historical context, because he makes some reference to some things that are outside of scripture. And it might be some cultural references that are that are like, well, I don't know what that means. That's a little unusual. And so, uh, and so even going beyond 1 Corinthians 15 to find out, well, what was going on in Corinth at that particular time? And that can even help us with the historical context. There are other occasions, though, where a text that you're studying, you don't need to know all three contexts. In fact, you know, like say, for example, historical context probably won't help you at all. Uh, it's not going to help you understand the text. So uh, let's let's consider, for example, a common verse that everybody takes out of context, Philippians 4.13. Okay. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? How are we going to understand the right use of that text instead of the way that people will use it? Uh, like, now I can run a marathon and I'll win first place because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What's the context we want to be looking at to understand that verse in the right way? I'm going to go through the book of Philippians first and foremost. Right. So you're going to immediate context is going to help you the most there. So uh, not just isolating verse 13 by itself, but looking at what came before it. I know how to get along with humble means. And I also know how to live in abundance. 
in any and all things, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both in having abundance and suffering in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And suddenly it's like, oh, okay. So this is not about running a marathon. <laughs> this so is you Paul just demonstrated also really good how sometimes just a verse or two on either side will really right. illuminate a text. Yeah. So like if you go to biblehub.com, um, and, and this, this is one website I know that does this really well. Type in any reference. So you type in Philippians 4.13. On the right-hand column, what you'll get is, uh, it's like the right-hand column on the top right. It'll have the immediate context. So it shows you Philippians 4.12 through 14. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing where 13 is sitting right in between those two verses, and right away you have an immediate context. Now, sometimes to understand it, you might have to go a little further than that. Yeah. You got to go a little further up, a little further down. But, uh, but that's one occasion where the immediate context helps us most with understanding what Paul is saying there. And that passage I brought up earlier from John 10, and uh, I'm better with a chapter than I am with a verse. I want to say 1027, is that right? My sheep hear my voice. It's in John 10 where he says, I am the good shepherd. That's for sure. But I can't right. remember the exact verse either. Yeah. No, I bring that up because that's one where you, you're going to want at a minimum the entire chapter right. Of, right. Of, of John chapter 10. Um, now, even uh, speaking of John 10, so even verse 10, that's a popular one, where mm -hmm. I have come to give them life more abundantly. And that's the, that's the verse that you, uh, you'll, you'll hear it said that way, a little bit broader in the verse, and it's the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Now, right. oftentimes when we hear that said, who do we think the thief is? The devil. The devil, right. That's, and that's the way most people understand it. The thief is the devil. Well, when you go back up to the beginning of the chapter and you read through, you recognize that Jesus is talking about false teachers. So the thief is false teachers. They come only to steal and kill and destroy. They're using you to benefit themselves rather than actually feeding you God's word. Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So he's contrasting himself with the false teachers there. That's mm -hmm. another one of those places where yeah. the immediate context helps us better. And I just looked it up. It is 1027 that I was thinking. Hey, I, good I job. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so my sheep hear my voice and they, they, they follow me. Uh, and, I, and I just remember this because it's such a vivid case in my own experience where I walked through with somebody who clearly was misunderstanding the text, was using it, as I mentioned before. To, to drive this, well, you need to be listening for that still small voice, you know, or, you know, Jesus is going to speak to you. You just got to learn how to hear him, you know? And if you've, and, uh, it was, it was interesting because, uh, I walked through the text just, well, let's just do John chapter 10. And it was almost, it kind of felt bad because in the end it was kind of embarrassing how simple yeah. it was like, it, it just oh, doesn't say that. Yep. Yeah, I've, I've done the same thing. So I've had times in my past where I was just uh, butchering the text. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can remember sermons that I, I've actually been preaching since I was 17. So I've been filling the pulpit uh, since my senior year of high school. And I can remember sermons that I was doing in like my mid-20s. It was when I was being influenced by Rob Bell. I'm just going to uh. be <laughs> <laughs> I can remember sermons that I was doing back then. And I wish I could go back to those churches and just yeah. be like, you know what? I am sorry. I know it was like 15 years ago, but I, <laughs> I really feel like I need to do that again. You know? Uh, so of course I don't do that, but um, I've been there too. Yeah. Totally butchering the text and ripping it out of context and making it apply to a good idea. I heard one time instead of uh, instead of understanding what's actually being said here. But of course, once I actually put these disciplines at work, and, and uh, uh, you know, which I've been doing, as long as I've been a pastor, I've been uh, a doctrinally sound expository teacher. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's a skill that I'm perfecting as I go, but I've always been expository. And, and from, you know, the time that I was doing that, actually putting these disciplines uh, to work, boy, the text is just so rich. And it's so much better than any other idea I get or somebody else comes up with to make this mean. And that's, that's one of the sad things about false teaching, especially when you're talking about like prosperity theology or stuff like yep. that. People will use a verse like John 10, 10 or Philippians 4, 13 to talk about how you can get all your hopes and dreams fulfilled 
but whatever they're applying that to is earthly gain, and it's never as good as what we're getting promised in Christ. The heavenly reward, being a fellow heir with him of his eternal kingdom, there's nothing on this earth that compares. And so it's really building people up for a very limited and failing faith that yeah, will not yeah. sustain you. It's not a saving faith because you're putting your hope and trust in things on this earth rather than your trust in Christ. And so it's when we understand this text in the right way, in, in the way that God truly means to communicate it to us, do we see Christ and, and put our faith and trust in him, uh, understanding that our sins are forgiven and life has been given to us forevermore by his wonderful, abundant grace and goodness. Well said. Uh, so is there another step beyond explore the context? We got one more, and that's cross the bridge. And I was kind of doing that there. So, <laughs> so now, now all of the exegetical work is done. You've gone through context. You've found your, your, your structure. You see your theme and your aim. You recognize the central proposition. Now you're actually going to put it into a form that can be taught. Uh, and you're, you're even going to give your application to it. So let's say you're not a teacher. You don't have a Sunday school class. You don't have a sermon that you're preparing, but you still want to know, well, I've read this text. I did everything that you said. Now, how do I find the application? So that's, that's last of all, that's kind of the closing work. And you want to be looking for things in the text that will point directly to Christ. Now, sometimes these things are not going to be as obvious. As we understand that the whole Bible points to Jesus, there's something here that's going to be a gospel direction for us that might be a little harder than usual. You know, like when you're when you're reading about the judges or you're reading about the kings, first and second kings, there's not going to be connections in there that are clear on, oh, okay, well, I see where this goes to Christ and the cross. That might take a little bit more work. But then there are other ways where that's going to be obvious. So like the first Corinthians 15 example I gave a moment ago, right at the beginning of that, Paul says uh, that he, was, uh, he, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Well, there we have the work of Christ in the cross right there at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians 15. So keeping the context in mind, it's easy to, to draw it back to, now here's how this points us to Christ. But we see that first, because like I said, you don't just jump straight to application, because again, then we're, we're going to be moralistic. We want to see Christ in our text. That's, that's who we're wanting to be like, because as it says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And so we grow in sanctification. We grow in Christ-likeness when we read his word and we do what it says. Uh, so that's why we want to direct, we want to have that direction to Christ in the cross, first of all, but then from there, you can tie it into modern application. So if there's something that's, are we, are we being told to do something here? Is there some sort of imperative that's being given? Uh, is it just describing something? But then even how that description is being given, is there still something that applies to us that we're being directed to do, or that will therefore change our lives as a result of, you know, uh, hearing what's being said. So that that's the last work, the final work, the closing work that you do in all of this study and all of this preparation is going to be giving some application to it, finding the the connection to Christ and seeing how it applies to me today. Great. Um, I don't know where to go on with that. If that was the last of the points, <laughs> I mean, I, other than maybe to ask just like, okay, I, I can't make it to the expository workshop. Where else can I learn these principles in a more detailed fashion than we've gone through tonight? Right. Well, you just got it right there. So you can listen to, <laughs> <laughs> you can listen to this podcast again. You can, uh, you can listen to my podcast on a regular basis. I'm doing this every lesson. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so going to www.utt.com or you just type in WWUTT and whatever podcast you're listening to, and it will come up. So every day I'm going through a text and we're, we're tying it to the gospel and we're finding modern application. So that can help you in, in your own disciplines. Uh, you may decide that you don't like listening to me every day, <laughs> but at least you've had some things kind of established for you as you've been listening that like, okay, so what Gabe is doing in, in reading the text how can I now apply that to my own personal study or something like that? 
Um, uh, another book, a good book to read too, would be Expository Apologetics from uh, Vody Bakum. That's another good book to get into. Uh, and then the one that I mentioned earlier, How to Eat Your Bible from Nate Pickowitz, a really good book on mm -hmm. just the basics, just giving you basic stuff on uh, how to read the text and understand it and apply it. Um, Nate did such a great job with that. I mean, that, that's kind of like, it's the bare bones, like basic grassroots. Anybody can start from this level and learn how to study the Bible and apply it. Cool. So cool. one thing, one way that I can conclude too, is uh, I had sent you this, but kind of a list of 10 questions. Mm -hmm. So this is something that, uh, that you can apply. Anybody can do this. And you're asking these 10 questions of yourself um, whenever you're studying a text. So these are the things that you consider in, in any study you do. And even if you're following a book, like somebody else's book, somebody wrote a book on first Timothy. And so I'm following their book and reading from the text. Even if you're following somebody else's book, these questions are still good questions to ask with regards to what it is that you're studying. So number one, who is speaking and who is being addressed in the passage? Now you might be surprised how easy it is to forget that. Mm -hmm. Like even as you're studying, you can forget that, oh, wait, wait, Paul is talking to the Colossians here. You know, like, like those things can still be important to understanding even this lesson that you're looking at today. So reminding yourself of these things as you study that. Number two, what are the keywords and or phrases in the passage? What are some of the keywords we're looking for? So that's where we might go through what you were saying before about like reading the verse several times and emphasizing a different word and to maybe suss this out and help better understand what the answer right. to that or question even, would be. Or even with regard to phrases, you're going to read that whole section several sure. times because then you'll have like, yeah, certain expressions that are being used there that might pop out at you uh, that you didn't notice before. And, and you notice that as we've been going through all of this too, nobody needs to be a Hebrew or a Greek scholar in order mm -hmm. to rightly understand and apply this text. Those things are certainly helpful but we can all read this in English and still know exactly what the Holy Spirit means to communicate to us through this text. That's a good point. So then number four, what are the cause and effect relationships of the passage? Like what's, what's, being, what, what's happening to, uh, to kind of bring about this action in the text? And then what's the effect? That's one question that applies well, especially for narrative. So if, as you're reading a narrative passage like, uh, you know, Jesus walking on the water or something like that, uh, you're reading about one of the miracles or you're reading one of the Old Testament stories, the cause and effect relationship, that's a good thing to look for in narrative, especially. Number five, how does the passage relate to the rest of the chapter? So again, we're broadening out our context a little bit more and seeing where this sits in the, the chapter overall that we're reading. Mm -hmm. Number six. Is there a promise or uh, is there a promise to claim or a truth to believe? Like we're being promised something because of our faith in Christ. Is that in the passage that you're reading? Is there a truth that's being stated that therefore uh, we come to know something about God or uh, something about ourselves according to the passage that we're reading? Number seven, is there an example for us to follow? Now, that's one that, especially when we talk about gospel preaching, we can put a lot of emphasis on make sure you get to the gospel. And of course, that's very, very important. Uh, what is a sermon without the gospel of Christ being proclaimed? Is, are we missing out on an opportunity when we preach if we're not pointing things directly to the gospel? But at the same time, there may be an example in this story that we're supposed to follow. Like when Paul wrote to the Philippians, he says to them, follow the examples that have been set before you. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you that I've written to you before, and it's safe for you. So he's giving good examples for them to follow. Uh, it, it is, it's good to find um, uh, examples of godly men and women in this text whom we should want to emulate and be like. Uh, they've gone before us, putting these things into practice in themselves so that we might have good examples to follow. We're still following the examples of the apostles every time we read the New Testament. Number eight, is there an attitude to change or a sin to confess? So is there something that is behavioral 
that we're being told to do this, to be more like this. You know, like when we read uh, husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands. Is there some sort of attitude that is supposed to change there for us? Something that we need to do? Uh, or is there a sin to confess? You know, as, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. So we understand we need to put off these sexual desires and instead pursue, per, uh, pursue Christ, pursuing purity and holiness. Number nine, is there a command to obey? So this goes back before to things I'd mentioned regarding imperatives and indicatives. Is something being indicated here or is something being commanded here? Like we're actually being told to do something. So if, if there's a command there to obey, take recognition of that. And finally, number 10, state the main idea in 10 words or less. So especially if you're a journaler or you're making notes, give the main idea of this passage in just a short little phrase, like what, what's being said here. And that helps to summarize promises that are given, truths to believe, things we're being told to do, examples to follow. Some of that's going to fall into this central proposition phrase that you've given that summarizes the text that you've read. Good. And uh, we'll have to, I'll have to get back to you offline. And so I can get you, you sent me a picture of the bookmark. You were reading that off of, but, uh, and I'll put that in the show notes so people can see that. Great. I think this yeah, one's right. going to have like, <laughs> um, th this episode is going to be one where I think the show notes are really going to be helpful. Terrific. Yeah, I, so, I would agree. I would think so too. Yeah. So you kind of summarize things and stick it in the show notes. I'll make sure that you get those yeah. questions and, and be well, able to my biggest there. question. I'll get it. I'll get it from you later, but I want to know like how to properly cite this because this is something that somebody else has put together and written. I don't want to steal yeah. their, their stuff. It's but, actually but. not on the bookmark though. So <laughs> <laughs> I know where it came from, but okay. it's not on, it's not on the bookmark and giving credit where credit is due. Uh, it is from uh, the uh, Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary in Jacksonville, Texas. That's a mouthful. <laughs> okay. And we'll call them BMATS locally, B-M-A-T-S. But uh, they, they have these little bookmarks whenever uh, we do a, uh, a workshop or something like that, and BMATS uh, might have a booth there. Okay. They'll have those bookmarks uh, right there on the table. So I've grabbed one of their bookmarks and it's that's perfect. That's, that's uh that's good marketing. Cause uh perfect thing to stick in your Bible. That's right. Cool. Well, Gabe, I, uh, I think we had a few little pauses. So my, I, I've got the timer going. It says that we've gone for an hour and eight minutes, but I will be chopping some stuff up. So I don't know where exactly where we're at, but we're, we're right about our hour. <laughs> we're right at an hour. Yeah. Cause I started it closer to the time that we actually uh, began chatting sure. <laughs> and we're at an hour two. So we're right okay. there. Yep. Well, um, I, I, this was fantastic. I, I came into it. Um, you picked the topic and I, I think I mentioned to you before we started that I wasn't even sure how to prepare because just because of the, what we had talked about beforehand and yeah. DMS and stuff. And, um, but this was a fantastic topic. So I thank you for coming and I thank you for bringing it with you. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. I had, I had my little book with me, uh, the, you know, the books that we get out, uh, we give out at the expository workshops. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't know how to start and end this, mm -hmm. but Andy and I, we just have good conversations anyway. I'm sure yeah. it'll happen organically. So it's, yeah. well, <laughs> I didn't really have the a, one an thing that I think I can or... do is kind of suss out how to start a conversation. And, um, and, and this one was good because once we get it started, it just kind of takes care of itself. That's right. Yeah. So, good stuff, man. Good appreciate conversation. It. So. Thanks so much. Um, yeah, I just looked it up. It was uh, July 2020 was when we did the Bible project. Oh, so wow. So, okay. Been, yeah, not quite two years. Not quite two years, but coming up on it. So, yeah. I think we're still we're still in the annual thing. I think that still counts. <laughs> I know. Close well, enough. You yeah. know, the last, this whole decade has been like a century. So, well, that's <laughs> it's kind of hard to keep that's, track that's of time. Right. That's <laughs> we're, only, we're only on the third year, so. It's yeah, scary. it already feels like we're past 2030 at this yeah. point. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. But uh cool. Well, I will put also in the show notes, um, you said you talked about this on your podcast. So I'll put a link to that. I'll find it, put a, put a link to that. And we'll have Yeah, I'll send you the exact episode so okay. you can link to that. Yeah, right. Yeah, we'll uh, have plenty I mean, of it, stuff. 
if they listen to your show, they heard the same episode Becky and I did. It's it's not too different. <laughs> well, it might, it might, I mean, it's a, it's a really like dense topic, so it might be good to hear it just spoken a different way rather than listening to the same thing twice. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, echozoe.com slash 167 for the show notes. And, and um, I, like I said, I think sometimes I wonder, is it worth the show notes this episode? For sure, it will be. So check that out. And I'll have the books that you recommended. You said Nate Pickwitz and Bodie Balcom and some other stuff. I, you know, as I listen back during editing, I'll pick up on all that stuff and have it in the notes. So Definitely. All right. Cool. Thanks, brother. Yeah, thank you. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 167. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, visit echozoe.com slash 167. Come join Echo Zoe Ministries on locals at echozoe.locals.com. That's L-O-C-A-L-S dot com. You can support the ministry there as well as interact with the community. And I look forward to seeing you there. Lord willing, I'll be back next month with the April episode of Echo Zoe Radio. 